You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. I'm going to be iconic. Welcome to the Alouettes Flight Deck, the podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouettes football. I'm Cliffy D. You can find me on X at Cliffy D. And I'm Tim Capper. You can also find me on X at Repact. That's R-E-P-P-A-C-T. And this episode of the podcast is presented by our good friends over at SportBuff. If you use the promo code ALS, Flight Deck 10 at checkout, you will save 10% off your entire order. So head over to sportbuffshop.com, use the promo code, save 10%, rep the merch of many pro leagues, and of course, support local. And the Alouette's Flight Deck is all over the World Wide Web and social media. Make sure you check out our archive of our seven-plus seasons of the Alouette's Flight Deck over at www.alouettesflightdeck.ca. Make sure you follow the show on X at Deck. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alouette's Flight Deck Pod. We're on Instagram at Alouette's Flight Deck. That also means we're on threads at Alouette's Flight Deck. Uh, make sure you check out our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Alouette's Flight Deck for all of our Flight Deck lives and so much more. And last but certainly not least, make sure you check out our merch site at www.flightdeckgear.com. And we'll say it too, because I'm going to get it right this week. You can find us over on Blue Sky 2, a eh, Cliff? You can just search for at Repact, at Cliffy D, at Alouette's FL Deck. We'll pop up. So uh, you can find us there too, because we we're actually we're actually posting there quite a bit. We're basically mirroring what we're doing over our neck. So it's, uh, uh, it's like you're getting us twice. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. D- double the pleasure, double the fun. That's right. And speaking of double the pleasure, double the fun, we had the Hamilton Tiger Cats again this past week, second week in a row. <laughs> yeah, but this game actually, well, listen, the other one counted too, but this game was for, shall we say, all the marbles. Um, well, the, the East semifinal marbles, at least. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, the, listen, if you wanted to go, if you want to be a part of the Great Cup, you got to walk before you can run, right? So mm-hmm. in order to get to that Grey Cup, you got to go to Toronto. You got to go play at BMO Field. But to have the privilege to do that, you got to play in the Eastern Semifinal. And that's exactly what the Alouettes and the Tiger Cats did last Saturday. Yep. And uh, it it was, you know, I didn't know, you know, off air between you and I, I wasn't sure how the Owls were going to perform. Um you know, you can go into a game. You can't be really be blinded as a fan or a supporter of Cliff, as you know. Uh, you just got to look at everything from uh, from every perspective that you could. But you know, I don't know why I went into this game as as I as I was, because the Alouettes surprised me. They showed me what exactly what they could do. You can tell that this team was ready to go. Uh, you know, something about everything within the organization uh, led up to the semifinal win over the Hamilton Tiger Cats, uh, where the Owls knocked them off 27-12 before just over 20,000 raucous fans at Percival Molson Stadium. Um, 
Yeah, it was it was just one hell of an atmosphere, and I don't I don't you know what I know I may be in the minority on this one, but I actually didn't mind it being on a Saturday afternoon. Likewise, I I thought it was great. I mean, Saturday afternoon, uh, the tailgate was rocking nice and early as always. Uh, you know, so much fun, so much fun to interact with uh, Al's fans. It started out kind of slow, but then uh, towards uh, once noon hit. That's really when people started congregating. And I'm sure the fact that the Alouettes had a lot of activities for the tailgate as well probably helped a lot with that. A lot of alumni came and you got a chance to do a meet and greet with them, which was Mike always Pringle. Mike Pringle <laughs> at the tailgate. Uh, so many others. Uh, wow. I mean, like just a lot of great names from the past as well. I, I man, it was just made for a great atmosphere. Uh, so much fun. Uh, everybody was welcome as always. And then you get into the game itself, and yeah, it was just uh, the atmosphere was like nothing else. Like it, it, it was playoff football. It was November football. It was everything that you wanted this game to be. Mm-hmm. Twenty thousand plus showed up. People rocked out. People had a great time. People made noise when they were supposed to. Everything was falling into place. I mean, country roads much- in the fourth, baby. Yes, thank you. It only <laughs> took nine. <laughs> games for them to get it but my god my god they finally got it right playing country roads at the right time to let everybody else sing along and be a part of that atmosphere so they, they i could got have it taken right. an, i could have taken another verse but you know what you know it's okay then then they switched over to the queen Ew. <laughs> it's okay no no you know what's funny the first game of the year the home opener they played it and was perfect. It was during victory formation. The Alouettes won their first game. You couldn't ask for anything better than that. Uh, I think the next time that they got it right was, I think it was against Saskatchewan, if I'm not mistaken. Going in, uh, Coming in out of a... Uh, TV, t- TV timeout. I think it was out of the TV timeout. I, I but it was late it was in the TV timeout. That's what I hated. But you know what? It still carried on, and you still heard it throughout the, the TV broadcast as well, which is awesome. Ever since then, either didn't play it or played a snippet of it and just canceled out before you really got into it. But maybe it was because this was the last home game that's going to be played in Montreal in 2023. They they had to do it right. And by God, they did. So so props to, I, I don't know if it's DJ Wordy Word that plays the music throughout the whole thing or which member of the, the, the organization is in charge of playing the music and you got it right. You got it right, and we are incredibly grateful for that. The D, they, the D, whoever we're at, and true. I know we've gotten off topic slightly, but we're still within the stadium. Um, they are, you know, the whoever was doing the music was dead on, man. I mean, even during the scrum at the end of the game, what, um, what were you, what were, what did they, what were everybody singing to? It was imagined by John Lennon. Yeah, and everybody was- had the fireflies. The fireflies came out. You know what? Talk about a moment in time. And it's so funny because at first everybody is pissed off because of this altercation. Like we'll, we'll, we'll go more into the oh, details yeah. of it, but yeah, everyone, minutes, yeah. people were hot. People were just besides themselves, like, you know, with, with what had taken place. And then I, I don't know what prompted the PA. Like I said, I, 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 I honestly don't know who does the, the music, but flipped on John Lennon's Imagine. And it was so funny, like it, it, kind of the juxtaposition of everybody being pissed off and angry. 
then all of a sudden people are singing along and even the players are kind of doing the waving their hands exactly and like people were like arm in arm just swaying back and forth too a little bit everybody's singing along like you said everybody got their cell phone camera the camera lights out uh, the fireflies that we like to call it throughout the stadium and just lit it up without any prompting no prompting no, this, this one time yeah you're right no prompting whatsoever it, it was organic it was like natural. it was way back when when it happened originally in the calgary game exactly exactly and, and, and they brought and they broke out sweet caroline also it was like it was like they're like last week you know they we had all of our we literally had all of our favorite hits this week it, you know what like it I guess because this was the finale, the home finale, so to speak, you got to go out with a bang. You got to you got to send the fans home happy, and I think that's exactly how you do it. You 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 hit, you play the hits, you you do something like completely unexpected like that, and I, and I tell you, like it 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 got you in the feels, like it's just kind of a great way just to calm everybody down from that whole fracas that happened on the field, and. Like I said, it, it just changed the mood immediately. And it just, you, you look out in the crowd, you see the lights, you see everybody singing, you see everybody in unison with this whole thing. And you're like, wow, wow, what a time to be alive. What, what a moment in time. And you got to give major, major props to the Alouettes for, for, for doing that. It was just mm-hmm. incredible. There's, there's just no other word to describe that moment in time. It, it was, Probably not great if you were a Tiger Cats fan watching your team crash and burn like that, and then you know, you know, every, everything that went out throughout the entire game. But I mean, it, it, Alouette's nation—they came together in in such a way, and it was just just magical, really. I mean, I, I, I it sounds kind of corny to talk about it like this, but I mean, it was just just fun. It was just a fun atmosphere, and just made for part of that experience. Like we, we, we talk about the experience at personal most stadium being second to none in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of ways that they can improve things as well. But I mean, for that game, for the Eastern semifinal, the way they handled everything was just absolutely outstanding. I, I, I gotta give props, take, you know, tip of the cap, whatever you want to say, like the Alouettes got it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of improving, I know we're jumping around here, but anyone within the game itself, Cliff, you know, one of the main things that we were uh, quite concerned about going into the game versus Hamilton was the kicking game for the Alouettes, specifically with David Cote. Mm-hmm. Um, after watching this game, and, and as we mentioned last week, hearing he, he did practice over Percival Molson before the game itself, um, made it close on that first kick. I mean, he really made it close on that first kick, mm-hmm. but he was perfect on the day. So, there, you know, whatever he needed to do, uh, getting in the mindset, I think, as you put it last week, to practice that personal Molson made yeah. all the difference for him. And he was he, obviously David was an integral part of this win versus the Tiger Cats. Without question. And one thing I don't know if we touched on it last week was uh, after Cote had missed one of his field goals against uh, against Hamilton, Jason Moss, head coach, had kind of went, sat down beside him behind the bench, kind of put his arm around him and said, listen, you got like he, he said don't worry about it you got this whatever whatever like he was re- just reassuring him like just like a, a true coach would do like so, like someone who still believes in you someone who still has your back like just to let Cote know that okay this isn't what you you, you were expected to do but we got you whatever it is we're gonna get you through us and sh- 
sure enough, between that and yes, Kote practicing by himself at Percival Molson Stadium, so he can get the feel for the for the stadium and and like just get, get in that mindset of okay, I'm here to do a job. I'm here to kick field goals. I'm here to, like I I've got this. And yeah, the the you put in the work, you get the results, and that's exactly what happened with Kote. He was absolutely perfect on his field goal attempts, uh, on his uh, point after touchdowns. You know, I. Yeah, there there was I, some I, I think, questioning. The, at, there was some questioning at the beginning, remember? Because when he first, when they, when it first occurred, you know, the Alouettes punted, and it was just over, just over. It was just less than fifty yards, and you and I looked at each other, thinking, "Does he have a a, a limit, so to speak, that Moss is willing to do?" Yeah. Uh, mind you, we didn't have to question anything longer than 50 for the rest of the game because everything was within, uh, you know, with, within 40. Right. So, but yeah, no, no, uh, no questions. And let's just, let's hope it continues, uh, continues when we head over to the, to, to the, uh, to the big smoke. So. Yeah, no, give, give David Cote a lot of credit. I mean, he, whatever was going through his head, where if, if there's any sort of mental, miscues or mental blocks in I, I kind of feel like he's over it now I, I think he kind of he knows what he has to do he knows he can do this and the moment can't be too big for him it didn't feel like it was this past Saturday and the fact that Jason Moss he, he made it very clear David Cote is my kicker he he will he will get it down he will get it right he'll get it figured out and he did so top marks to both uh Cote for for Stepping up when when he was absolutely called upon, and credit to Jason Moss as well for sticking, standing by his man, by by sticking by 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 Cote, saying, "I've got your back. Don't worry about it. You've got this." Is that's what Tem- you want out of your head coach to inspire it- everyone on the team. Is it Tammy Wynette that sang "Stand by Your Man"? Yes, yes, it okay. was. As a matter of fact, <laughs> stand by your man. Anyways, uh, speaking of other things that we were worried about going into the game was, you know, we weren't really sure when it came to the uh, to the you know the the quarterback who was going to start. You know, we knew it was going to be Matthew Schiltz, uh, but we didn't know how Bo Levi Mitchell was going to play a how much of a part he was going to play in this game. It really was a. There, there really weren't any issues because Bo Levi really did not play a part at all in the game up until six minutes left in the actual game itself. And the Owls' defense, just as they have been all year, the Owls' defense stepped up, uh, roughed up Schiltz, blocked passes, interceptions. They did what they needed to do. And it, like I said, they, they were... You know, Schultz did Schultz things. He still had. I mean, we he's known to be able to just to just drop back and run. He did do that, mm-hmm. but the Owls were able to really contain Matt for, for most of the game. Yeah, and we will always be Matthew Schultz guys. There's no question about that. He is a good football player and an even better person off the field. Uh, you're you're not going to find any slander for Matthew Schultz on this podcast at all. But man, Montreal really took it to him. They they gave him fits. He just he he, he had to work for everything. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, he just he he simply had no answer for this Alouette's defense, and it, it's crazy to think. I mean, I, I truly I had said like 
based on what we've seen so far from both Levi Mitchell in 2023, if the Hamilton Tigercats were going to win this football game, it was going to be because of Matthew Schiltz. That didn't turn out, unfortunately. I, I don't blame Schiltz for the loss. I, I, it truly was a team effort. Um, what was really head-scratching is throughout the week, they had said it, they determined that it was going to be a two-quarterback system, a platoon system. It was going to be both Schiltz and Mitchell were going to be playing. Kind of gave the impression that they would be splitting duties. Like it would be like half-half. Like maybe one starts the first half, the other goes the second half. And of course, plans can change depending on how the game was going. I mean, maybe if Hamilton was leading at some point, maybe do you stick with a hot hand or do you just go with somebody else? I, you know, it's it's all speculative, really. But uh, the the fact that Bo Levi Mitchell, the prize acquisition last year, last offseason for Hamilton, the guy who was supposed to lead Hamilton to the promised land, to be able to play the Grey Cup at home again like they did in 2021. That's why they brought Bo Levi in. And you don't play him until like six minutes left of the fourth quarter. Yeah. Like that... That's puzzling. That that and again, no disrespect to to Schultz and, and what he was able to do, but it just wasn't working. Like obviously the Alouettes had his number. Like why Orlando Steinhauer didn't go to Bo Levi in the second half to me is even even if it was just for one or two series, just to give uh, Matt a chance to kind of see things from a different perspective and maybe get a little more insight from the sidelines while while, while Mitchell plays. I. I don't know why, again, the only person who can truly answer that is Coach Steinhauer, but it was just baffling to me. Like At that point, by and large, the damage was done. I, I Once you, once you put Bo Levi in, and Bo just, Bo was no go, unfortunately. <laughs> he yeah. just didn't, he, he was not going to be the guy that was going to lead the the comeback if there was one to be had. It just, it just wasn't that. Like, it's just crazy to think that you, 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 he was the prize, you know, the, he was, he was the missing piece, so to speak. Like he was going to be the guy that was going to do it this year. And yes, he was felled by injuries for, well, nearly the entire season. I mean, that's, that's the unfortunate part, but I mean, that's still the guy that you expected to lead you to the gray cup. And you, you don't play him by the time you play him. It's, it's already too late, or at least it was pretty much too late at that point. And he, he just wasn't going to get the job done. Yeah. And but- yeah, I, 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 again, the, the, for any number of reasons why this happened, the, the way it turned out the way it did, we'll never truly know. But it, it was just, just really, really surprising. Like, and again, still no disrespect to to Schiltz for the, how he played, but like, why wouldn't you go to Bo Levi in the second half? Because I, it was still the game was still attainable, you know. I think it was like 14, six at halftime. If I'm not 14, mistaken, six at halftime. Yeah. I, I mean, you're, you're essentially down a score, you know, and if, if you didn't feel like Schultz was getting it done, put, put, put Bo Levi in what, what, what harm could come of it. But lo and behold, they, they, I guess they thought, okay, well, Maddie got us this far. Let's give him a chance to, to write the ship. And unfortunately he just, it just was not his day. Actually, even if he, he would have come in, it would, it would have been 17-6 by that time because the Owls got the ball coming out of the second half. So Right, right. Uh, yeah, some some other very noticeable things that we that we talked about. And obviously, if you want to, you can head back to uh, uh, our uh, Flight Deck Live from uh, Percival Molson last Saturday. It's available over on our YouTube page. Um, some of the other things that stood out is Cody Fajardo. 
And this this could easily bode well, and if it could easily become a thing this coming Saturday versus Toronto in, uh, in the East final. But Cody runs for his second most yards in his career in the playoffs. <laughs> He, he didn't lead the team. He didn't lead the team in rushing, but he came very, very close. I mean, Cody. <laughs> I don't know, man. Cody ran for sixty-two yards. <laughs> I, I've joked about it all year. Fajardo is a Latin word that means "run for your freaking life." Yeah, yeah, I, that, and that's what he does. I mean, but but give he, him credit. But, but but yeah, but give him credit. These were drawn. You could tell it was. Well, we were talking about that with Schiltz. Drop back and go. That's exactly what happened with Cody. Yeah, it wasn't happy feet. He didn't have the happy feet. He didn't, uh, it, it, you know, he didn't run into his own linemen or anything like that. Like these were designed draws for him to scamper and get 10 plus yards every time. 27. That was his longest. 27 it, yards for Cody for Jarno. Like, if I'm William Stanback, I'm like, yo, dude, I could do that. In fact, he was doing that. So, <laughs> yeah. Why, why you got to hog the ball and, uh, and all the running, man? Like, it's just incredible. Like, I, I my God. It, yeah, stand back up to him, though. Stand back did up him. He had, he had, he had a 38 yarder. So, <laughs> well, you know, listen, stand back was definitely motivated as well. I mean, he, we, we've seen over the past few weeks, he's been running angry. He's been running with purpose. And again, he wasn't going to catch the rushing title, not by, not by a long shot, but, Come playoff time, this is where you see the real William Stanback. And mm-hmm. that that if that doesn't get you excited, Alouettes fans, I don't know what will. Because when William Stanback gets the ball in his hands in November, good things happen. And that's exactly what happened this past Saturday as well. He just ran with purpose. Uh, I mean, he had a couple of real... Like that 38-yarder you were talking... Yard run, like he was bowling people over to. And he was just... Oh, that w- that was the William Stanback we knew and we mm-hmm. expected this year as well. So it's it was great to see him and again couldn't come at a better time as far as I'm concerned for Alouettes fans. Yep. Other things that we need to talk about, obviously, and specifically point out before we get to the super- superlatives and get to the actual stats and stuff. Um, is I don't know if anybody happened to notice that in his post post game interview with. Uh, uh, with Austin Mack that he had a toucan or no, he had a toucan at one point. Cause we saw him post game with a toucan, mm-hmm. but he had a, he had a bandaid basically right square smack dab in the middle of his, uh, of his forehead. Mm-hmm. And if, and if you hadn't watched the post game show, you wouldn't know you would have wondered why. Well, it all came to a head, no pun intended, mm-hmm. uh, right before the end of the first half where, Mac just got creamed. I mean, he got smoked by two uh, Thai Cat defenders, and he looked a little shaken up. We see you and I both saw him coming off the field, uh, putting on, I think, putting on one of the co- cold coats and and heading into the locker room. That's what you and I thought he did. He headed yeah. to the locker room because I think they wanted to make sure. I they didn't say officially concussion protocol. But they nope. just wanted to make sure he was okay. Obviously, he said, look, he, he had a cut, obviously, on his forehead. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is, though, is because of something that had occurred uh, on the field, Mac had literally had to rush out of the of the locker room, you know, because obviously he's able to come back in because he wasn't taken off the field, so it doesn't mean three plays. Mm-hmm. He was able to come back in, to, uh, take take part in that particular play, and and, and you know what? It's funny. 
I think Mac maybe right now may be the only player that we know of that can get smacked, locker room, out because of uh, somebody else couldn't make it to the play. And dude, he scores a touchdown that puts the Alouettes up that basically it's, I would say would seal the game right there, which put the Owls up at that point. Uh, you know, you know, basically, as I said, put, put the Owls up up at that point of uh, of fourteen to fourteen to three. I wouldn't say it sealed the game necessarily, but I mean, it definitely was. It, it, it you have to score sorry, touchdown. Sorry, six, fourteen, six, fourteen, six. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah essentially, again, you're not going to beat Hamilton just with field goals and rouges. You you had to score touchdowns, and that's exactly what happened. I think that, if anything, I think that sort of started the fire. That's that sort of sparked the Alouette's offense at that point, mm-hmm. because at that point you knew, okay, we got a tutty. That's now we build on this. Now we, we start piling on the points and the defense has to start, you know, closing the closing things out and slamming the door on this Hamilton offense as well. But yeah, Austin Mack kind of coming in blood running down his face. Uh, I think Cody Fajardo in his uh, post game presser had referred to it as like, this is like a movie moment. Like it's something that you see out of Hollywood, like running out of the tunnel, wearing a blood streaming mm-hmm. down your face. And then mm-hmm. you go and you catch the touchdown. It was like, mm-hmm. like Disney couldn't script something like that. I'm like, yeah, like it, it, I'm, I'm sure it made a great visual. And even actually, uh, the CFL did actually put out a cinematic version I of saw that too. Yeah. For each game. Yeah. And, uh, when you saw Max touchdown celebrate, like you just see it, like just that guttural yell, mm-hmm. like that, you know, like let's go. Kind yeah, of thing. Like yeah. it was just absolutely outstanding. Like, yeah. So I guess maybe you could make a movie out of it if you really wanted to, but sure. just, ab- just an absolutely outstanding effort from the big Mac and man, what a year he's had. I mean, from virtually unknown in training camp to most outstanding player nominee for the Alouettes. And now, now he can say that he has scored a professional touchdown in a playoff game. Exactly. And right. as we also mentioned too, uh, during flight deck live is that uh, this was the coming out game for a lot of players. Cause obviously for a lot of these guys, it was their first ever playoff action. Um, and man, somebody that we had not even mentioned the entire year, Stepped up, stood out, scored a tutty, bobble, sorry, catch, bobble, catch, touchdown. <laughs> to, Welcome to the Jake Hardy party. I was about to say, yeah, for Jake Hardy, man. And it's, and you know what? He's, I, 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 I bet you I saw him post game. I saw him on some of his post game. He would have been a guy I would have just passed on the street. Yeah, you, would, you wouldn't know him from a hole in the wall just by looking at him, but, uh, Wow, what a game! I mean, and it's funny, like you you think about like the the usual suspects when it comes to the Elwes offense: uh, Austin Mack, Tyler Sneed, Tyson Philpot. They all contributed. They all they all made plays happen. They all did great things in moving the ball. But Jake Hardy was just like almost like a checkdown option. Like you, okay, you know, national receiver. He's got to get in the game somehow. And uh, wow, for Cody Fajardo to find him essentially on a checkdown and. What a touchdown! I mean, just we're holding our breath, and then yeah, you see the bobble of the ball, like oh no, and then recovered to his credit, recovered it, scored the touchdown, and that was what sealed the sealed mm-hmm. the deal for the Alouettes. Like that was just an outstanding effort. Like he he's been a great on special teams this year. Uh, 
only just recently over the past couple of weeks is he getting more and more involved in the offense like oh oh yeah that's right jake hardy plays for the alouettes like it's it sounds it sounds insulting to say like you just don't hear a whole lot of him but it was just he he's become one of those unsung heroes like just one of those guys that just goes you know with that lunch pail uh you know, blue collar work ethic just goes in, does the dirty work on special teams, but was given a chance to shine. And what a moment to shine. I mean, for, for everything that he's gone through for, you know, wondering if he was ever going to play professional football again, uh, for him to, to shine on a, a big stage like that. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. You got, you got to take your hat off to this young man. He, he, he never gave up. He never gave up on his football dream. He never gave up on, being a member of this organization, like it was, it was pretty awesome to see Jake Hardy have that moment in the sun. And wow, just absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Um, before we talk about the, the defense here, because they, some guys balled out so badly. I mean, it's a, uh, Cody Fajardo, 15 to 23, uh, two, uh, one interception, two TDs again, uh, C three strikes again, right? Consistently, Consistent Cody. Uh, William Stanbeck led the team in rushing 18 rushes, 95 yards, 5.3 average. We talk about Cody and, and his 62. Uh, for the wide receivers, uh, leading wide receiver was uh, Tyler Sneed. He had a nice 32 yard uh, scamper. Uh, sorry, 27 yard scamper, uh, 50 yards. Austin Mack, uh, three receptions for 46 yards. Um, Jake Hardy, 31 yards. Tyson Philpot, 39 yards. Uh, William Stanbeck got into it, 25 yards. James Tuck, 20, uh, 21 yards. Again, uh, the guys did what they needed to do. Uh, and obviously it's going to be big next week. Talk about the offense, Cliff. We obviously, we can't before we continue. We got to talk about the defense. Uh, a few things from this defense. Interceptions. Five sacks, uh, holding the CFL's regular season leader in yardage to no yards. Absolutely phenomenal. I mean, that that was no small feat. I, again, Tim White is a, a phenomenal receiver. He he's shown it all all year, leading the league in in re- receiving yards. Like they even call him him white because he is him like that, like him white. Like and I thought, okay, well, this guy's going to be a problem. Like we didn't see him for the last regular season game, just like we didn't see Schultze or James Butler running back for the the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Like okay, they're clearly resting those guys for the Eastern semifinal. Smart move because they're going to be they're going to be relied upon very heavily. And <laughs> well, we didn't see a whole lot from Butler. Uh, we. We already talked about what happened with Schiltze, unfortunately. Uh, but for Tim White to get nothing, like literally nothing from the, out of this uh, defense is unfathomable. Like you you could have given me a million to one odds. I'm like, no, give me a break. He's going to catch <laughs> at least a touchdown. He's going to he's gonna, that shut him out completely. Get the hell out of here. That's not happening. But lo and behold, this ridiculous Alouette's defense did exactly that. They slammed the door on this team numerous times. I mean, to, to hold them to four field goals is phenomenal. Like, oh, here's one. Here's one for you, by the way. And if, and uh, it was, I mentioned it when we were chatting in the turf district 
podcast chat the other night in the regular season and the, in the postseason, Cliff, in the, in the four games that they played versus the Hamilton Tiger Cats, they held Hamilton to one offensive touchdown the entire year. I, I, I was gonna say if I if I didn't see it I wouldn't believe it, but I did. And see And you were there it, for the I game. Still... You were there for the touchdown. By the way, you were in Hamilton for the touchdown. You were there, and I was in Hawaii. You were there for the for the for the touchdown. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible to think about just how well this Alouette's defense has played against Hamilton this year. Like, and we we talked about okay, they won the season series. They, they shut them out uh, like three games to no. Mm-hmm. And we talk about, okay, well, winning that fourth game is extremely difficult. I'm like, well, yes, typically it is. But my God, you, you someone forgot to tell the Alouettes because I, I won't say they handled uh, Hamilton quite handily, but I mean, they, they what they did was more than enough. And Hamilton, for whatever reason, couldn't get anything going other than four field goals. I mean, that's what blew my mind more than anything else is after Fajardo was picked off deep in deep in the red zone, Matthew Schultz had to start from his own six. I'm like, okay, no problem. Two and out or, you know, okay, here comes a pick six. Here comes uh, you know, you, you, you force him to punt and you're going to end up with great field position. Nope. Schultz, just did what he, what I, what I know he can do. And he just went to work and he drove the Hamilton Tiger cats down the field. Just, Constantly, first down, first down, first down, first down. Just kept inching along. And for some reason, on that particular series, the run defense was non-existent. Like, why are you letting these guys literally run mm-hmm. all over you? I, mm-hmm. I, 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 I couldn't figure it out. But all of that, and then you just end up with a field goal. Like, that to me was just like, uh, I don't get it. Like, one, why is the, the defense letting this happen? And two... You're able to finally solve. Look, look, you finally solve the Alouette's defense, and you walk away with just three points. Like, I, I don't know who gets the blame for that one, but oof, I mean, that I guess that was just kind of a part and parcel for what the day was for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I yeah. mean, it's just some so they always say some days you're the dog, some days you're the hydrant. It's just yeah. that's just what yeah. it was for Hamilton. What else? And by the way, what before we wrap this thing up about the about the the game and. Uh, start previewing the the East final. Um, what can what else can you say about uh, Darnell Sankey and uh, Sean Lemon? Man. And more and more. Those are the two of the names that really stood out. I mean, uh, uh, you know, Mustafa. You know, he, that helped. And then Reggie Stubblefield once Stubby, again. Yep. Should have had that. And we told him post game too. It's like you owe us push ups. <laughs> You had you made that, that that pick, you had nothing but real estate in front of you. And he's like, I know, I know. Yeah. Just, and, oh. and Deontay Ruffin also with a with a fumble return or fumble, fumble recovery. recovery. Yep. Yep. And it was funny because he, he was getting picked on a little bit throughout the game. And it was it was kind of one of those uh yeah, shades of uh, KB and Ento against speak, Toronto earlier. Oh, this but year. speaking of Kabian, so close. A guy, I said, we've said it before. We've been on his ass all year, but stood up, came this close to getting a to getting a pick, this yeah. close. That's what the secondary is for the LOS. They're just dangerous. They, 
if they're not getting picks, they're at least it's pass breakups or they're they're just getting in people's grills. They're they're just making life miserable. Like they're they're stopping drives cold. It, it's so it's so great to see. It, it's just absolutely outstanding. Uh, Wesley Sutton too, just mm-hmm. an absolute monster. Uh, it's just wow. I mean, there's there's not not much else you could say about that, but. Yeah, go back to uh, Darnell Sankey and Sean Lemon. Uh, Sean Lemon actually called his shot uh, uh, before the game started. He said, you know, they asked, like, what do you think about, uh, you know, Matthew Schultz versus Bo Levi? I said, I don't care. I'm going to sack them both. And he did. <laughs> Darnell Sankey, what what an addition. And this was an addition. This was a, a primetime acquisition made for games like this. He had sacks. He had, uh, uh, you know, he, 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 yeah, my God, he had, he had an interception. He had a sack. He had, I think he had two sacks actually. He had two sacks. Yeah. Like played like his hair is on fire. Like, the, and that's what you want out of, like, you, you make the move, you, you make the signing to get someone like this for these moments. And big credit has to go to Danny Machocha for, being oh, able yeah. to sign the Sean Lemons and the Darnell Sankeys, knowing full well, like th- these are the complementary pieces that are going to get you over that hump, that are going to get you to be playing football in November and beyond. I, 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 just wh- what what a coup. What a coup. The, the, the team that this, this man has put together is absolutely phenomenal, with, without question. It is far beyond what anybody had thought. L- let's not forget, everybody and their mother thought this team was going to be dfl this year and mm-hmm. well they didn't get that memo either i they don't get a lot of memos about how how bad they're supposed to be and yeah exactly I, i'm fine great. with that i'm fine with that also can't forget about uh, dequa getting an interception at the end of the game and we'd be remiss if we didn't happen to mention it because we talked about it before uh and then from here we'll we'll, we'll talk we'll we have a, a guest coming in to, to preview the east final but we have to talk about this uh the scrum which ended up being by the way uh up until this point the Owls didn't have a single penalty not a single penalty the entire game i was like wow did not see that coming no but what what but what was our first penalty and what was the cause <laughs> well <laughs> let's okay this was after after the Dequa interception that by and large meant okay game over mm-hmm. game over the Alouettes are going to the eastern final Hamilton's going home <sighs> Alouettes line up you know play gets off and uh, I believe it was a run play if I'm not mistaken to stand back just to try and bleed some time because you couldn't you couldn't go into victory formation just yet you had to at least get another first down or at least yeah you have to get another at least another first down to try and at that point take a knee and bleed the clock uh jake hardy and chris edwards of the hamilton tiger cats got tangled up and edwards decided well i'm not going to the eastern final i'm my season's over so the hell with everything i'm just gonna start beating on this clown and he started wailing on uh, on Jake Hardy and of course we're, we're seeing it in the stands and everybody's up in arms and sure enough both both teams come together and uh, Chris Edwards is still trying to you know trying to kill people uh, <laughs> from what happened from there just turned into a complete 
melee, a complete Donnybrook. Uh, players were coming off both benches to get involved in the uh, the scrum. Uh, flags were flying. It was just it, it turned into a royal rumble plot practically. It was yeah, just, yeah, just a complete gong show. Uh, Guys and, uh, in helmets taking swings. I just yeah. don't, I've never gotten it. Yeah, and that that's what led to us all being. You know, like everybody was up in arms, like in the stands, like we're, we're all we saw what happened. Like, I mean, I literally saw like Edwards reaching back and just starting to pound on, uh, I guess it was Jake Hardy. We didn't see it at first, but it was end up being Jake Hardy that he was wailing on. Yeah. But then uh, Joshua Antry ran in and tried to confront uh, Edwards for that. Uh, ended up getting pushed into a referee. And I was worried because I thought, oh, shoot, he just knocked over a referee. Oh, Damn it. Like, yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. He, luckily he was pushed into for, First of all, what the hell are you like? We, we talked about this uh, last Saturday. Like I understand you're, you're playing for the man beside you to the, the man on your left, the man on your, you're, you're playing for your brothers. I get that. You, it's, someone goes down, you want to get the, you want to help them out. And we should not have left the bench. Uh, Regis Sibasu also came off the bench to get involved in the, the, the whole thing. And as soon as I saw the referee gets knocked down, like, oh, crap, like, not good, not good, because, you know, that the CFL and well, all football leagues are pretty much to say you cannot put your hands on an official. That's automatic suspension or first automatic ejection and then automatic suspension. And like, oh, you guys are going to be playing next week. You, you can't be involved in this nonsense. And it, it took a good while. And this is also to what it was at this point, too, that the PA people decided to start playing Imagine and calm mm -hmm. everybody down and all that. But when they were sorting through all the penalties and who was getting tossed out and everything like that, like it, it was crazy. Like just watching eventually cooler heads prevailed. And yeah. two cats, uh, three cats got tossed, two owls got tossed. Yeah. Against yeah. Sibasu and uh, Antwi. And Antwi got tossed because they left the bench to get involved in this. Um, thankfully, no mention was made of the referee being knocked down and looking up upon it afterwards, it actually was uh, accidental because it was actually a Hamilton, Hamilton player that pushed Antwi in, in and, and he inadvertently fell into the referee. So he, he, it yeah. wasn't like he knocked down the referee intentionally, but as we saw earlier this year, I think it was uh, Jake Cereza from Edmonton. As, as part of a celebration of a quarterback sack, he did a little uh, flippy do and uh, accidentally bumped into a referee. He got dinged for that. So, by the way, it was one person who got ejected, and that was Antwi. Yeah, the uh, on other unnecessary roughness went to Hardy. Obviously, the disqualification went to Edwards on Hamilton, and also uh, unnecessary roughness uh, to Bennett and to uh, Bayless. Uh, I think they also got ejected too uh, because they came off the bench. Right. But so, but all to say this, if you're watching the broadcast, and if you haven't yet, you need to go back and watch it. It's about the last, uh, it's under a minute where this occurs. This just goes to show how, how much of a leader he is and how much, how centered and uh, how, uh, how he's paying so much attention to this team and trying to get to our goal is what head coach Jason Moss said. Uh, they had to use the mute button a, a couple of times. Uh, but to give us the, the cliff notes, 
Ha ha ha. Give uh, us the cliff notes there, Cliff, uh, on what Jason Moss said to the refs. Well, because the referees basically went up to him and said, listen, we got to do what we got to do. And I guess they're talking about with uh, with players being thrown out, in, in, especially Antwi for, for coming off the bench. And what Coach Moss had said, and again, I'm it's not verbatim because I really should have wrote that down because it was yeah, it was great. He just basically said, "Listen, we're playing next week. They're not. This is fucking un- unacceptable. Like, like again, and he's right. He was absolutely right. I mean, I think he was pissed off at his players for for what had happened for their their part in this this thing." But the fact that Hamilton, like for Chris Edwards to go off like the way he did. Yeah, and, and the was, team had not been goaded all day, even though as much as Hamilton was trying to goat the Alouettes as the defense was trying to goat them. Didn't yeah. happen up until this one point. Again, didn't happen. But one thing with Jason Moss, especially being involved in that whole kerfuffle, he didn't lose his cool. He didn't lose... No. He was actually very level-headed. Very like he, if anything, he was trying to calm other people down. I mean, I saw Coach Greg Quick get right up in someone's grill and was. I thought he was going to throw hands, but uh, like I said, once again, cooler heads prevailed. They eventually people got separated and all that. But I, I mean, people say what people have, have given Jason Moss the gears over the years for how he's been as a head coach. When he was out in Edmonton, whether well, it was the the throwing Gatorade jugs and. Uh, F this, F that, you know, like he was just, you know, constantly yelling and screaming and throwing shit around. I mean, he's not that guy anymore. Like, yeah, he was pissed. He was clearly upset at what had happened. You know, not impressed at all with, you know, the fact that his players were involved with this as well. But he stood up for his guys. He made it clear, like, this is not, this is unacceptable. This is not who we are as a team. And we're not going to play these games. It's simply put, we're better than that. And mm-hmm. I, I give him a lot of credit for being level-headed for keeping the, keeping the calm as, as much as he could. You could tell he was, he was very incensed about what had happened, but you know, it, you would have figured, okay, the old Jason Moss would have definitely been grabbing anything within arm's reach and throwing it all over the place, but he's not that guy anymore. Like he, he was angry. No, don't, don't get, don't kid yourself. He was definitely angry about what took place, but Moss doing his best Billy Martin impression. <laughs> well, yeah, that wrong sport, but I think people should get the reference. I hope. Yeah, or Bobby Knight throwing uh, chairs on the court. Mm, you know. R.I.P. Bobby Knight, baby. Yep. Yeah, yeah. John Sky McEnroe. Pokes. John McEnroe. Any any number of guys that just you know would lose their cool like that, like the old Jason Moss probably would have been you know among among that, but not this Jason Moss, not the head coach mm-hmm. of the Montreal Alouettes, Jason Moss. And I've got to give full marks to him for it. Like he. He, he he did what he had to do. He he kept cool. He let the he let the refs know he was upset, but uh, you know he just he just wanted to get this game over with. And yeah, I I have to give him a lot of credit for being the leader that he is. He he, as I said, people go if you have access to TSN on demand, CFL on demand, go and watch it. Go watch the last five minutes of the broadcast. Five, six six minutes of the broadcast. Yeah. Total. Yeah, I mean, if, and if, like I said, it was less than a minute left. It was just after Dequa got the interception. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much when the, the whole thing went down. But just watch Jason Moss afterwards. And 
credit TSN. I mean, they, they really, I think they were a little slow on one of the, at least one of his F bombs, but yeah, because uh, it was mentioned on social media. Yeah, they were. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but that's broad, that's broadcast TV there, Cliff. Hey, when, when you're live, anything can happen. We, we, we're proof of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, ne- needless to say, with all that that had occurred, Alowitz walked away with a 27 12 win over the Hamilton Tiger Cats and have advanced to the Eastern Final versus the Toronto Argonauts at BMO Field. And obviously, we, we didn't feel that we could do Justice Cliff, just you and I just talking about uh, the matchup that's coming up. And it could be a very historical matchup in many ways for both these teams uh, this coming Saturday. So we had a we had we had to invite some uh, a returning customer to help us talk about this game, didn't we? <laughs> we we certainly did. Uh last year we had him on for the to preview the Eastern Final and uh, did a fantastic job. So I thought, okay, you know what? It was so nice, we have to do it twice. So we are thrilled to once again preview this year's Eastern Final with uh CFL News Hub reporter Mike Mitchell, and we are so excited to be able to have the chance to talk with him to get his thoughts on everything going on in Argo land. And uh, this is a huge game, definitely a well worth you know breaking this down and and giving this the, the proper respect and accord that it deserves. So, without any further ado, let's go right now to our man, Mike Mitchell. The Eastern final finally has arrived once again. It's the Montreal Alouettes going to BMO Field and taking on the Toronto Argonauts. It's kind of like deja vu all over again. And uh, joining us on the line once again, just like he did this around this time last year, is uh, CFL News Hub reporter Mike Mitchell. Mike, welcome back to the Alouettes Flight Tech. We are thrilled to have you on to talk about the Eastern Final between the Alouettes and the Argos once again. It's right. It's great to be back with you guys. You guys have done a tremendous job all season long, you know, and uh, and it's been a fun season and sat high drama on Saturday. Should be should be great game. We're looking forward to it. Now, let, let's talk about these Argos, because my God, what I, I, it, it's so funny. Like we, we talk about like the Grey Cup hangover all the time. We, we talk about how the Argos, after they win a Grey Cup, they kind of fall off the face of the earth for a couple of years, and then they find their way again. Then they fall off the face of the earth. It's crazy. But this year, they did not get that memo. The 2023 Argos did not get the memo that you're supposed to suck after you win the Grey Cup. What do you think it's been when it comes when we talk about this team as it sits right now at 16-2 and two and hosting the Eastern Final? What is it about this team that makes them just so good? Yeah, there's so many layers to it. You know, when they won the Grey Cup last year, I think like the number one theme or mantra or message from Michael Clemens and Ryan Dinwiddie is for the Toronto Argonauts to not resemble some of their previous Grey Cup winners who kind of won the whole thing and then faded the year after. And then I think Michael Clemens, even the day they unveiled the banner, number 18, at, at their home opener, um, Clemens talked about how they're, you know, if what you did, I'm going to, butcher this but if what you did yesterday if you're proud of what you did yesterday then you're not doing what you're doing tomorrow basically telling the home base in toronto that we're, we're our plans are to win it again to hoist another you know and they always say that but when clemens when clemens said that you you felt it like this is legit so like they're really and they strive they're striving for for perfection it's like a one game at a time all the cliches one and oh one and oh one and oh and they've won 16 games. You can't, you know, no matter what happens on Saturday, and there's certainly going to be a lot of disappointment if Toronto does fall, 
to Montreal in the East final, you got to give a lot of credit to the Toronto Argonauts organization from top to bottom, the way they put together that roster. So many quality Canadians, great drafting, great American imports on their roster. I mean, I know they just got today. I just wrote an article about, you know, and it's all over the place about them getting eight all-star nods and the CFL team, seven of those players are first timers. Um, you look at the list of the guys, like the guys like Javon Leak, of course, Chad Kelly. There's a lot of Quantez Stiggers is up. I mean, if you Vince Magri is one of the best kept secrets in the CFL, former Canadian offensive lineman has been a part of the Toronto Argonauts organization, the scouting department for a long time. He knows Canadian players and he also knows American players. And you look at guys like Dejon Allen from the XFL, Sean Oakman from the XFL. You've got Quantez Stiggers who has no college experience, played in the fan control football league, an indoor football league. And so they leave no stones unturned. So that's Murphy, Alex Russell, Vince Magri, of course, Michael Clemens at the helm. If you look up and down Toronto's roster, you knew this team wasn't going to be a fluke um, and wasn't going to be just a fly-by-night team that just happened to win a great cup. They got on a run and they'll just fade away. They're built for long-term success. And this is their third straight year in the East Final. They have a heck of a coaching staff. Ryan Dinwiddie's a tremendous head coach and play caller. You look at the work he's done with Chad Kelly, what he did with Cloud Bethel Thompson. You could argue Bo Levi Mitchell's never been the same since Ryan Dinwiddie left him. So um, there's a. I think uh, a lot of people are like catching up to their surprise. But you look at Toronto; they're just so deep, and you know their roster. So you can tell how deep their roster is. They had nothing to play for the last six months, so they were just sitting starters, sitting resting guys, giving healthy scratches to A.J. Willett and all this. And all these backups went out there. They took Winnipeg. They fought Winnipeg very hard with Cameron Dukes and a bunch of backup players not playing. A.J. Willett was pulled in the first quarter. And then, of course, they just kept on winning, even with all these backups. And it goes to show you the quality of their depth in their organization, how much talent they have on their team. So they have the right mindset. They're a very good team. You know, when you win 16 games and you tie for the greatest record, regular season record in the history of the CFL, that's quite an accomplishment. But when you reach this point, I hate to be that guy. When you reach this point, if you don't get to the Grey Cup, if you don't hoist the trophy, it doesn't erase the accomplishment of a 16-win season that goes in history books forever, but it, it, it kind of knocks it down a couple of pegs. So there's a lot of pressure on Toronto. But, yeah, I think a lot of people who weren't the uninitiated that weren't paying attention – uh, they found out this year how good, how well together Toronto's been put uh, uh, as a team, and uh, and um, they, they saw how good of a team they are. So at 16 wins, they they you know they're going to be around. You know they got chat. They've locked up a lot of their guys. They're going to be contenders for the Grey Cup every single season. And they have Chad Kelly. When you have that combination, uh, top tier head coach, top tier quarterback, locked in. For your franchise, you're going to be good every year. You're, you're, you know, you're talking about, you know, will people remember? And does anybody ever remember that, uh, you know, that New England went into the into the Super Bowl with an undefeated record? No, no, they oh. don't. <laughs> no, well, except for Miami Dolphins. Truth. Um, <laughs> that's the tr- um, truth. Yeah, and and also you look at you, you look at Toronto and their and the history. It, you know, they've not gone back to back since the Owls came back in '96. The last time they went back to back was ninety six, ninety seven, and before that exactly. was right before the the CFL was actually officially formed back in the uh, uh, you know the late forties. So it's that's it's a hard be one. A- and this is who the Argos of today are being compared to is those glorious ninety six, ninety seven teams. I mean, um, 
So they're being the measuring stick with Toronto is, I mean, they did it to themselves too. This is what Michael Clemens set the bar real high. Ryan Dinwiddie set the bar real high. The measuring stick because of their accomplishments this season, all the all-stars is ridiculous. 14 all-stars on a 27 member East division all-star team. That's a lot. I, you know, so to, to basically have more than half of your players on, uh, on the East all-star team. So the measuring stick is very high right now. Can Toronto meet it? You talked about before about how basically, you know, the Argos have really had played some meaningless games over the past couple of weeks ever since. Actually, it's funny, ever since they clinched the East by beating the Alouettes 23-20 um, at Percival Molson. Um, uh, you know, how is it that uh, obviously you hear the coaches are going to say what they what they feel. You know, even Coach Moss is the, currently the same thing, too. Everybody's talking about the one and no mantra, et cetera, et cetera. But you, you look at it, I'm trying to remember of the, if there's actually a case in Alowitz history, too, where the, the same type that Chad Kelly currently is in. Because he has he's played a meaningless game. Uh, not, he hasn't played a, a meaningful game in the past X number of weeks. I mean, yes, players can get up, they can get hyped, et cetera. But, you know, I've seen the word rust come up a lot. Can Toronto, is it Toronto versus the rust? How is Chad Kelly going to be? I mean, is Chad Kelly going to be the guy that we saw earlier in the year, or is it, or as you know, or or will the rust catch up to him? You know, what's interesting about that whole argument, and it's a valid one, is Toronto has kind of been playing loose ever since they clinched, as you said, against Montreal, uh, 23 20 there. That was a tightly contested game. Ever since then, the Argos have been playing loose and easy and free. And, you know, they have so much talent on their team. They have all these guys who've emerged and they've won games. But Saturday's East final game, you can't quite keep that, that same mentality. I mean, there's going to be pressure in the air. They're playing against a very good Montreal team that's peaking at the right time. So um, they're clicking on all cylinders. Jason Moss has done a tremendous job with the Alouettes. They have some key pickups during the season. I saw this with Toronto last year. Like Toronto picked up Ryan Hunter, who was named an all-star today. Tremendous, you know, uh, acquisition from the NFL. They had drafted him several years earlier. Boy, did that pay off. He joined their offensive line, and their offensive line has been terrific ever since Ryan Hunter joined them. A tremendous move by Toronto getting him. Then you look at Montreal. They were good throughout the season, but the additions of Lemon, which is ridiculous that he was out there, and then Sankey. Uh, these are two tremendous pickups during the year. I found that, you know, I was talking and communicating with people. I'm not going to mention any names in the CFL. And when I was frustrated that somebody like Lemon was still out there looking for work, it's like, I thought it was just ridiculous that, you know, it, this wasn't a case where it's like a name value player who five years ago was an all-star. He was like an all-star last year. So it made no sense to me while he was still out there. And so I got people saying, well, bringing up character issues with him, or maybe he's a fading player. You know, there's a, a lot of expletives I could use right now to describe my thoughts <laughs> on that opinion. Um, Sankey is a very good football player. Same thing. I saw this in Canada. It was pretty funny. You know, Sankey has been a very good linebacker in the CFL for a long time. He led the league in tackles last year. Um, and then when he went down south and went to the XFL, the narrative kind of changed on him a little bit. I saw some guys who are highly respected in the CFL media who said all of a sudden, well, Sankey's not that important. He's not. He's just a linebacker. Who cares if he left? He's good. That's a just he's not that good of a anyway. If he had stayed, probably the narrative would have been a little bit different. But then we see how good he is when he so Montreal, Montreal, those pickups, you know, they've done a very good job. We know Moss has done a great job. The synergy he has with Fajardo was important. Um, 
The Montreal's front office deserves credit. They lost big-time players in the offseason. You get to watch Darius Pickett in double blue doing his thing. You guys have known how good of a player he is. You know, Gino was gone, and a lot of people were like, how the hell do you replace these guys? And Gino's a very good player. And then you got Austin Mack and all these other players on the roster that, that have stepped up and played equally or better in some cases. So, I mean, um, yeah, Lawrence was a heck of a pickup there uh, at center. So I think Montreal's front office deserves a lot of credit. Jason Moss deserves a lot of credit for that team's discipline. They're well-balanced. And those key pickups in the offseason, the unheralded ones that have panned out, and then those stars they added during the mix is what has made Montreal better. And they're peaking at the right time. You know, they're, they're a dangerous opponent. I've been teetering back and forth in this game. I, I feel like, and I'll just go on record with this, if Montreal beats Toronto, they're going to hoist the Grey Cup. And I know people out there who are Winnipeg truthers and and uh, BC Lions fans, and I get it. Those are two of the very best teams. They both beat Montreal during the season. I just feel like sometimes you get a sense about a certain team. If Montreal can get over this Toronto hurdle and get to the Grey Cup, I just have a feeling they're going to have so much momentum in that game and belief in themselves and confidence. They'll be underdogs once again when they get to the Grey Cup, regardless of what they do to Toronto, people will be dismissive of that. But I think if Montreal can get to the big game, I think they're going to hoist the trophy. I like everything about their team. I love the balance. I like the, the youth and the veteran leadership. There's, uh, they're a very good football team. I know some people uh, you know, are looking at the fact that they're 12-0 and against everybody else in the CFL and 0-7 against BC, Winnipeg, and Toronto during the season. And so Montreal has to prove that they can stand up to the elite and overcome them and beat them. But there's no question we're looking at the four best teams uh, in the league this weekend. And, and, I, and I think Montreal is deserves to be in that conversation. It wouldn't surprise me. I know it probably sounds crazy to some. wouldn't surprise me if they hoist a trophy, win the smoke. Let's circle back to this Chad Kelly, Chad Kelly for a second. Unquestionably, one hell of a year. And a lot of people at the start of the season didn't know what to make of him. They thought some of his comments, they, they got kind of rubbed the wrong way with some of the comments he was making about him playing in the Canadian football league, but he, he has answered the call every single time. And one can even make, probably even make the argument. Like if Chad Kelly didn't get knocked out of that game versus Calgary, probably would have won that. If uh, he yeah. started and played in the game against Winnipeg, probably would have won that. Like this team could have been 18 and zero had Chad Kelly played every single game. I think that's a fair argument to make. And it, it begs the question, like what is it about Chad Kelly that makes what what is it about Chad Kelly and how he responds with his teammates? Like, what makes Chad Kelly so good, such a good fit for this organization? Yeah, he's a blue chip prospect from a talent standpoint. He's got great mobility, can throw in the run, he can throw under pressure. He's got a tremendous arm. He's fearless, mobile, tough. Uh, teammates love him. He connects really well with his teammates. The coaches love him. He's grown up. He's matured in Canada. That's a credit to Ryan Dinwiddie too. Helps that Dinwiddie's a former CFL quarterback. Uh, you know, quarterback Boise State and all that. And so he has the background there. And Dinwiddie's very good with quarterbacks. You know, it's funny. Last year when McLeod Bethel Thompson, or maybe earlier this year, when it was announced that McLeod Bethel Thompson was leaving for the USFL, no one in, and I got in trouble for saying this, but no one in the Argonauts organization was crying with MBT left. And that is no, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to McLeod Bethel Thompson, good CFL quarterback. He led the team to a great cup last year. So he quality started in the league. I think he gets too much heat, but the Argos were happy that McLeod's salary went off the books. And because they were going to turn to chat from what I heard from everybody inside there. Uh, and I don't know if they would ever admit that publicly. They were going to Chad Kelly with their MBT. So I think the organization Kelly is a superb talent. 
And it, what's held him back is maturity and consistency. And even I thought this year as a first-year starter that he would have hiccups. And he's had maybe a couple of games where he's not been great. But for the most part, I'm being nitpicky if I go there because I think as a first-year starter in Canada, uh, I think he was tremendous this year. The Argos really didn't need him to go out there and throw for 500 yards every week because they're so good at running the ball. Their defense is so good. Their special teams are so good. Boris Beatty had a um, as a punter, too. Um, unbelievable. So anyhow, um, missed only two kicks, and he, he led the league in punting. Beatty's a special guy. So anyway, uh, I know you guys had him over there, and maybe there's some inconsistencies there. But anyhow, but back to Kelly. Uh Kelly's just a tremendous talent, and I think he's in the right situation. Had he gone somewhere else in the CFL, not trying to disrespect the place like Ottawa, but I guess I just did. But maybe if he went there, maybe he wouldn't have gotten the same coaching, the same kind of uh, mentor, because he was mentored a bit from McLeod Bethel Thompson last year. That helped him kind of ingratiate himself in Canada. And Kelly was highly motivated. He's got the right head on his shoulder. so he came with the right mindset into Canada. I know he's cocky and he can rub some people the wrong way, but uh, but in his house, uh, he's been he's been the perfect teammate and, and soldier, and so and he's well loved. So so that's a that he he's he has a chance. I don't think he'll. I have a feeling Brady Oliver is going to win the MOP for the league. It's pretty special what he did. Him being Canadian doesn't hurt. So um so and you know it's like a once in a lifetime kind of thing, but. Kelly's very much deserving of it. It's so interesting that you you mentioned about it. Would would it worked if he played somewhere else? Like, you know that Edmonton actually had his negotiation rights initially, and ended up trading them. What a great trade by the Argos! What a Again, they're the front, Argo's front office. They, they you know, they, they traded Arbuckle uh, for for Kelly's rights and all that. Uh, you know, that's another good one. I think Murphy deserves some credit for that too. Who's back with the auction this year? Um, trading was, a punter, I, I, I mean, trading it, a punter it, it, for Ricky Ray. I, I was gonna say <laughs> Edmonton. If they see the four one six area code, they should just not pick up the phone because they're gonna get fleeced <laughs> out of a quarterback. It's happened twice. It's the truth. It's the truth. It's a you know, and it and to, they're just like that's one of the things that people don't really recognize. You know, is like how good uh, the Argonauts are. And when you start studying the roster, you'll see it. But Vince Magri, I, I can't. At some point, some CFL team is gonna be smart is going to hire Vince Magritte at some point. For Toronto fans, hope they the people keep making mistakes and don't hire. Yeah, uh, you look at the Canadians they have on their team, McCurley Gittins Jr., all the All-Stars they have there. They have they have they had their their depth is so great. Like they li- you don't need a ratio like with the Argos. Like even if you eliminated the ratio tomorrow, they would start uh, uh, plenty of Canadians over Americans. So, um so it's just a really well-run organization and that Kelly trade is one for the ages. That was steal. If you're if you're looking at these these two teams, um, if you're because obviously you know all the the the, the podcast, you know the, the sports writers are all writing their own things, but for you, if you're to to, to center on one specific head to head for this game, what would it be? At whatever position it may be, I think I think Montreal needs to eliminate the big Toronto. Like um, the, the way I see it, like to, to Chad Kelly going back to him. You know, the, the Argos can break bit, big runs on the ground too with AJ Willette. He's done that several times this year. So you got to slow him down too. You got to get in the backfield to slow him down. But I think you need to force Chad Kelly into mistakes in this game. You need to force Chad Kelly to be patient. We saw that in the last Montreal Toronto game when the game was on the line, Kelly was making. And so it's like, um, so, and that's something he did during the season. Whenever, whenever the fire was on and the, Toronto was in trouble. Kelly made big plays down the field. So I think that the biggest key to me is because Montreal's defense is very good. No question about it. 
I think they just need to they need to um they need to limit the damage. They need to make Chad Kelly and Toronto's offense earn it, drive the entire length of the field, um, rather than those quick strike plays. And so uh, you know, the the Owls have a good book on Toronto having faced them three times this year. I know they were on three in those games, but I don't count the middle game there because to me, Montreal was purposely sitting starters and not playing guys. They took almost conceded that game because in the back-to-back the first and the third game were two of the toughest games Toronto played this season and they could have easily lost both of them so I think against the Argos you have to limit the big plays because he can he can strike at a moment's notice and if Montreal can do that and maybe force uh, test Kelly's patience because Kelly wants to go deep on you he wants to challenge you if you play man against him so I, I think that's a big key against uh, against Toronto's to make um, make make their offense drive the length of the rather than the quick strike ability, and um, that's one matchup I'm looking at. I think I think a lot of teams tend to abandon the run too quickly against Toronto, and the one team that the one team that stayed consistent with it, and I know it's a little bit that game Chad Kelly got hurt, but Calgary consistently ran the football. Uh, we're patient with it against Toronto. And I think you have to do that because they're so good up front. Uh, Toronto, their pass rush is so lethal. They can get you from so many different angles. They have such a deep rotation. Corey Mace is a heck of a defensive coordinator. They'll, bl- they'll blitz Cody Fajardo coming off the bus. I think you need to, I think Montreal needs to stay patient running the football. A lot of times in these games, these teams that play Toronto, they, they struggle early on, then they abandon it. And then you're playing right into Toronto's hands. If you're, if you're, if you're playing second and long and, and first and against that pass rush, that's the one thing I, I'm I lost track of how many sacks they are. I think it was about 70. So 68, maybe. So it's, they really, that's like one of the unheralded aspects of Toronto this season is how good they're how deep their backups have like six and seven and eight sacks. Like most people don't know Brandon Barlow is coming off the bench. So like they're, they're, they're really deep in that area. You got to run against them when they have a fuller in his tremendous pass rusher, but teams will run at him. So I, I think Montreal's got to run the football and they got to limit the big play from, if they can do those two things, I think they can win. I look at the depth of this Argos team and it's crazy. Like if you're asking like what scares you the most offense, defense, special teams, I'm like, all three. I mean, like for, further to the fact that you look at the CFL awards and all the awards on the East side are all Argos with the exception of most outstanding Canadian with Marc-Antoine Decroix. I, I mean, the way this team is built, you, you've talked about it as just the, 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 the depth, uh, everything that uh, this team has done to position themselves to be a repeat winner. I mean, it, do you, do yeah, they're you personally really, see they're really Ah, uh, it's tough. It's actually tough on them. Like their offensive line is really good. They gave 18 sacks all season, like maybe 19. Um, their defensive line, I just went through that. They had about 70 sacks or whatever the hell it was. So, I mean, um, you know, the, the one area where I could see in Toronto where they could get challenged, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how they handle their secondary. Like this goes to show you how good their front office is because Mason Pierce, who's like the replacement D has played better than the guys who just made the uh, or equal to. I don't want to go that far, but Robertson Daniel made the he got injured and then um you know and Amos got injured and then you know so so and it basically Pierce has come in and played as well as those guys, but I think I would challenge easier said than done. I but I think I would challenge the secondary down the field. Toronto's given up some big plays down the field this year. You got to hold up with your offensive line against that pass rush. 
and you got to recognize where the blitzes are coming from and their disguises. But I think I would challenge. I know that's easier said than done. They have Jamal Peters, uh, Quantes Stiggers is up for Rookie of the Year. Tavares McFadden's a real good mm-hmm. player. But there's some uncertainty there. What type of lineup Toronto's going to have this week if Robertson Daniel comes back, and um, which is like a scary thought. He hasn't played in a long time. But uh, I would challenge them down the field. You got to hold up on front. But Toronto has had some breakdowns in their secondary. They have given up. They've had some games where they've given up yardage passing wise. So that's. That's if you can hold up up front and keep your quarterback clean. Um, I, I would take some shots down the field against Toronto. Defensively, I, I'm surprised. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but I, I'm honestly surprised that Darius Pickett was the nominee for most outstanding defensive player. I mean, as we talked about, the depth is incredible on this team, but why not Winton McManus? What, what do you think Darius Pickett did that Winton McManus didn't? Uh, jack of all trades. You guys have gotten a chance to see your Darius Pickett, but I think Corey Mace um used him so well he played everywhere like Pickett. it's hard when you put him as a cover linebacker because he was playing so much defensive back he's playing at safety playing in the box as a blitzer playing against the run they he used them everywhere Corey mace used used Adarius Pickett everywhere and so he was just effective at every role he was given he was excellent in coverage all season long and he was valued because they lost two key safeties, two key halfbacks back there, and Robertson, Daniel, and Amos. Uh, Pickett at times was going back there and playing deep coverage, and so um, they had him covering the slot, covering inside, playing zone man. Um, he, Mace had a lot of fun. They, they purposely, like Toronto, purposely targeted Pickett in free agency because they knew he's the type of player that fits their system. And so, like, uh, so they use him in every way. And McManus at the end of the year, I mean, this is his second straight year being an all-star. Um, I think a lot of the coaches around the league and a lot of people who followed the team closely, snap per snap, thought Pickett was, like, one of the best all-around. It was his best year overall as a CFL player. It was one of the best all-around CFL players. He's just really good at against the run, again, a blitz in the quarterback, in coverage, Um yeah, he just had a very good year. It, it was the perfect fit with Toronto. They, they knew exactly how to use him. The system was uh, highlights his talent. So McManus, uh, you could probably argue that he's better player, more impactful, but I don't know. Pickett had impact in all three phases. So it's a tough one. It's a tough call. Yargo's had a lot of those kind of players on their team that you know you could have made an argument for. Their defensive tackles are really good. Dwayne Hendricks is a heck of a player. doesn't get the publicity that... He, he deserves he's kind of overlooked because you know defensive tackles don't have a lot of fancy stats but uh but he's a really good player too so yeah that it's, it's a good argument but it's embarrassment or riches with them uh and their front seven yeah i kind of joked last week when the the uh, uh press release came out with the all the nominees and when i came to like okay we got to pick somebody from toronto uh let's go you know it felt like they just drew his name out of a hat it's like because you could have picked really anyone from that defense and could have made a very solid case for them. It's just incredible the the amount, as you said, the amount of depth, the amount of uh, pure power that this defense has in Toronto. It's, I mean, it, it's scary. It's, it really is scary. And there are weeks during the season where, like, certain guys like Sean Oakman were just being healthy scratched. This is prior to the Argos just like clinching everything. It's like, okay, let's get Brinkman out there. Let's give somebody else some snaps. You know, that hasn't been playing enough, so they can afford to. That's why they were able to survive so many key injuries to starters. They didn't have Enoch all season long, and I don't think they're ever going to have him. It's like the worst kept secret that uh, Enoch Mwamba hasn't played at a single snap. He's been more of a media guy. Um, 
So it's mm-hmm. uh, it, we'll see what happens with that. If you know, if the Argos even gets a great cup, if Enoch shows up, we'll see. Maybe I don't know, but um, he's more of a sideline coach guy than anything else but yeah they're they're very they're very deep the toronto's has a very deep defense and they have so many guys who could have gotten accolades um, it was funny because like like a year ago i the cfl had a faux pas where they listed like i think it was like 16 argos that made the east all-star team and everybody said whoa what the hell and rightfully so you know like andrew harris was uh was getting the nod and stuff and he was injured like the whole season but this year when you see the 14 you didn't bat an eye it's like yeah they're really good everywhere so it was, it's kind of the way it went yeah, it, it's it, it's true. I mean, like I said, the, the CFL awards, the, the nominees for the East, it's essentially all Argos with the exception of one. During the, uh, after the, the Argos had basically clinched the Eastern Division, of, of all the players that you got to see, like as you said, the, the, a, lot of, a lot of the stars were given days off to, to rest and, and keep them ready for this coming game. Of the people that you, of, of the players that you see that kind of stepped up and, and took over, who would you say have been the most impressive and who is someone that potentially could be playing on Saturday and that Alouettes fans should be t- keeping an eye on? You know, the player who I think is like the lifeblood of the Argos, the guy who's like, to me, the most important player is, and everybody focused on the quarterback. I get it. I get it. Chad Kelly, how he performs is very important. AJ Willette, like AJ Willette is, he's a galvanizer. He's He's like, when he gets going, um, and when when he plays well, it fires up the entire – he's such a hard – you have to, if you're an opposing defense, hit him in the backfield before he gets any steam. He's a, just a tremendous blocker, tremendous catcher, great runner. Um, they held back on him because he could have had a better season. The Argos pulled the reins back. And I know people are talking about Andrew Harris coming back, and they have a deep backfield, Javon League, Daniel Adebaboye, all those guys. Um but I think AJ Willette is the guy you, if you want to beat Toronto, I think you got to slow him down or stop him. So um, contain him because he really get, once he gets going and he's averaging six, seven yards of carry running over defenses, by the time the fourth quarter comes, like the Argos were really good in the, in the second half of games this year in the fourth quarter. Uh, he just wears defenses down. I, I think he's a dynamic player who doesn't get the credit he deserves. And um, would have had a much better season. He went over a thousand yards, but he would have had a lot more if they didn't sit him, pull him. Even against Winnipeg, they played him for like a quarter. He had almost like 80 yards and a touchdown, and then they just pulled him out of the game. This is the game that Kelly didn't play. So I think um, I think that's a player that's like very like unheralded. He's it's hard not to notice him, but I think sometimes people forget, you know, the whole Thor thing and all that. But I think um, I I think he's one player that's like really important for Toronto. Is like a sp- kind of special player. He the, his style of play is how they play, and he works so well with their offense with the Argos offensive line. And the Argos are a very good running team. So, and he's it's, it's interesting you say that because I mean I I factor him in as like one of the the players you have to respect him. You have to almost game plan for him because yeah, I, I said it last year and it still holds true this year. He's it's like trying to tackle a bowling ball. He's he's almost impossible to tackle. It's crazy that at one point. I think during those two Montreal games at Personal Molson Stadium, the Argos played in, they managed to keep him respectable, but still he was able to break off a couple of massive runs. I mean, the the guy really is almost impossible yeah, don't let to him, stop. 
Yeah, don't let them get to the second level. That's why, like, a lot of times when I do these previews and I kind of like write from from the other side and I say, what what do you got to do against Toronto? And I'm I'm for blitzing on rundowns, like getting in the backfield and getting in there. Don't let them pick up steam and get to the second level. I mean, and then you see that in the second half of games, like you kind of corral him, slow him down, and then by the fourth quarter he's running over your DBs. So you know, it's like uh, so it's a it's a four quarter job against him. I think he's he was a team captain with Nathan Rourke at Ohio. So I followed his career for a while and he's just one of those guys who's a difference maker for his team. He galvanizes his energy level, brings up an entire team, just one of those players that makes players better around him. So he's, he's a special back. I know Brady Oliveira, what a special season. Awesome. But I, I, you know, AJ wasn't that far behind. His numbers would have been a lot better if they didn't just, you know, put him, uh, put that car in the garage. Um, uh, so yeah, he yeah, and it's good that you notice that Cliffy. It's hard not to notice it, you know, during the games, you know, playing against Toronto. If if the Alouettes are able to control Willette like they did in that last game at Personal Molson, I was just checking out his stats now. I mean, yeah, he had his he had his obligatory touchdown and he had his you know and he had his obligatory you know long run of twenty seven yards, but the house kept him in check. Other than that twenty seven yard yes. run, ten carries for fifty three yards. Do the math. They kept him in check. If the Owls can do that again, it's going to go a long way for them to, to for them to getting that W on Saturday. Yeah, it's important. You know, like you said, long run of 27, 27 out of those 53 yards. And, you know, and, and you know, if you get the yard goes into second and long, then he's only going to have 10 carries a game. So if you so that that's like, uh, you know, the, the problem is if he keeps getting the ball, if he gets to the 15, 20 carry mark and it's late in the fourth quarter and then, you know, he, he can do more damage. So you're right. Uh, it's a big key to the game. And Montreal played Toronto very tight in that last game. And they had an opportunity to win that one. And they're going to have an opportunity to win on Saturday, too. Yeah, it's, it's I, I, I think you're absolutely right. Even though it, I think a lot of Al's fans are worried, like, OK, last time they played at BMO Field, they just got dog walked by the Argos. I don't think it's going to be the same style of game. I don't think you're going to see that same energy from Montreal that you did back in, in September. I think it's going to be a, a much different battle. And I think a, a lot closer. And I think, I think both these teams respect what each other brings to the table. And I think both teams know how important this game is. And quite frankly, I think we're going to see, uh, I'll go, I'll go ahead and say it. I think this game is going to become a classic. Yeah, and it has all the ingredients to become one. And I, I dismiss that that kind of sandwich game, that game in the middle uh, where Toronto, you know, on the scoreboard crushed Montreal. I hate to put it this way because I'm not, I'm not saying that Jason Moss and the team's not trying to win. Yeah, sure, you're trying to win. But with the short week, <laughs> the first leg of the, of the back-to-back, it just appeared so many of Montreal's players sat in that game. It just appeared to me that they were kind of, this term he wouldn't say this publicly kind of conceding that game i don't think you're going to see a 39 to 10 type game i definitely see a classic close odds makers are crazy for making montreal 10 point underdog that's ridiculous um you know they played the free i don't know yeah i'll take the free i'm not saying toronto's not capable but not not capable of like a late score to win by 10 or something like that but i think this is going to be a close game um I'm le- I, not a lot of people going this way, but I'm leaning towards Montreal in this game. I just think Toronto's play. Toronto hasn't played a high pressure game since the last since they beat Montreal to clinch. And I think Montreal is. You've seen this in sports and in pro football. They're peaking at the right time. I think the Argos. I know they've had two weeks to prepare, although they didn't know for sure. 
whether or not they're, they're, they're evil Ontario buddies, Hamilton, we're going to be showing up to BMO. But I know they know Montreal, but Montreal's different. Even though they met two months ago, Montreal's evolved as the season's gone along. So um, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on Toronto. Uh, to win this game. And I think Montreal's got a, like, a us-against-the-world thing, them being heavy underdogs, them having lost to Toronto already three times. Um, beating a team four times in one season is very difficult. So I definitely think the game's going to be close. And I know, like, Argos fans will be very pissed about this, but I I, I think Montreal's going to win the game. I think it's going to be close. I think Montreal – I think Montreal – I just love what Jason Moss is doing. I think Montreal's very balanced. In the playoffs, when you get to this point, the deep end of the water, you know, it, you really – you know, all those fish that are swimming in that sea deserve to be be in it. And I, I – you only have to be better than your opponent on that one day. And do I, if you ask me right now, which team is better overall, top to bottom, I would tell you Toronto. I'm not saying that's far and wide better than, but, but I think it's, I think it's close. I think Toronto's a little bit better overall, but on one given day, all Montreal has to, it has to do is be better than my, uh, Toronto on that day. And so all these teams are capable of winning it all the final four teams that are left in the mix here. And look, last year, Winnipeg, for all intents and purposes, and rightfully so, was considered the better team than Toronto. Toronto was a very good team, but Winnipeg is Winnipeg. They won 15 games last year. And when push came to shove in the Grey Cup, Toronto got hot at the end of the season, and they found a way to hoist the trophy at the very end. So, um, Don't, don't you mean when, the- uh, when, when punt came to block? Yeah, when a punt or kick came to block. That, what, a, what a sequence that was. Both teams with, with their kicks being blocked at the end there. That was crazy. And then Toronto losing their starting quarterback in the game and then Kelly playing hero off the bench. Usually that's a death knell. You know, it doesn't always work out. Uh, but, you know, sometimes yeah. it does, but it's not a great thing if you lose your starting quarterback in the middle of the biggest game of the year. And somehow the- Toronto overcame that, so. This atmosphere at BMO is going to be absolutely, you know, they're they're projecting close to a sellout. Um, uh, that that's something that I don't remember. You know, I remember the days over at Sky Dome when they used to have a hell of a lot bigger crowds than what they currently have at BMO. And I know sure. I know Toronto fans get that knock, but I mean it's it's going to be ruckus. I know there are going to be Owls fans in. The, we are going to, we're going to be outnumbered, but fans Alouettes fans will be in the stadium, and and man. If that if this game does 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 turn in our favor, it is going to be very very quiet, and then you'll you'll hear it. You'll hear the ole ole ole. So <laughs> that's the key, you know. Like Montreal has to avoid, you know, when you're in that kind of atmosphere, you want to avoid getting off to a bad start because then it could just it could just you know steamroll. You know, mm-hmm. you could basically you don't want to you don't want Montreal to have a bad turnover early on, give up a big return and be down 14 nothing or something like that or 15 nothing or whatever. And you know, in that like crowd, that was last year. Because that was know, last year. They cannot have a repeat exactly. of last year. Yeah, and it's it can happen very easily in the road. All it all it takes is a couple of mistakes, that energy, that atmosphere. They're going to be amped. Uh you know, I know the Toronto fans, you know, because of 30 years ago was a different John Candy, all that. The Argonauts were a different fan base. They ruled the city and it, the, the world has changed a lot. 
since then. But the fans that do show up at BMO are tremendous. It's loud. The acoustics of that that BMO is mm-hmm. a nice stadium. Like it's perfect for like uh you feel that if you feel like you're on top of the action, it's like it's it's great. The acoustics are great. It gets pretty loud in there, even when they have like 15, 16, 17,000. So because just the way it's constructed mm-hmm. and the fans are very passionate that are there. So yeah, if you're Montreal. You can definitely silence it, but you got to be a little careful in the beginning of that game. You know, one Chad Kelly bomb, a Javon Leak return, a Cody Fajardo's pick six by Pickett, and all of a sudden it's like, oh boy, we've dug ourselves too deep of a hole here to get out of it. So you want to like an Alouette's onside punt. There you go. Um, but we, oh, but we don't talk I, about that. I can't wait because that you know Toronto's had the game plan. You know they. they <laughs> That's that's a the, huge variable. That's a yeah, huge variable because you don't brilliance. know. Yeah, that's part of the brilliance of it. Oh yeah, yeah. Bring the guys up. We might punt. You know. So it's like it's a pretty it's smart move. Moss has done a tremendous job this season. What? what a, yeah, they're ch- obviously Toronto is chasing history. Obviously, I've already seen that written once already. I mean, yes, I get it. But but people need to remember too. And I love this type of these are the type of stats that I love. Toronto actually does have history chasing them. Everybody just has to remember what happened in 1989. No 16-win team has ever made the Grey Cup. Just talk to the Edmonton Eskimos of 89. So, And this was a Saskatchewan Rough Riders team that came in at 9-9. Nine and nine. Anything's ha- Anything can happen in the CFL, obviously. That's true. That's very true. And I'd say this, I'd venture to guess, you know, we've seen like 500 teams in the CFL go on and win it. I don't think Montreal's like a Cinderella type team. I think Montreal's a really good team. It's just like they're they're going to be tested. They're facing arguably the first or second best team in the CFL. So they'll, they get to the Grey Cup. They will have earned it. All right. To sort of uh, close things out here, Mike, uh, this is going to be a chess match for sure. Like you talk about two phenomenal play callers and jason moss and ryan dinwiddie you know they're they're gonna throw everything everything out there like leave no stone unturned as far as you know doing whatever it's going to take to go on and go to the gray cup what's going to be the biggest thing for for both of these teams what do you personally see as the one thing that's going to be the the winner for each each side like what what's each side going to have to do with it personally themselves to advance to the gray cup I, I think Toronto is great out in front. So, like, if they get in a position in this game where they they uh, command the line of scrimmage, which they've done all season, giving up the least sacks, having the most sacks, and they get in a lead, it's going to be difficult for 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 Montreal to overcome that because they're they're just really good playing out from in front. And I think if Toronto Toronto's got to get off to a good start here, you want to get over that jitters because there's nerves and jitters when you play in a playoff game. So, I think Toronto gets into the flow of the game and they get off to a good start, I think it that's going to favor them because they're so they're so balanced, so good at running the football and uh, throwing and making big plays in the passing game that I think if they get a lead and their defense is, is it has the other team trying to chase them, um, that's usually where the Argos start make big plays, uh, turnovers and all that. So um, they get the other team to play against type. For Montreal, I, I think we touched a little bit on this. I think I think you got to eliminate the big play. You got to slow down AJ Willette, and you got to eliminate the big play from Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly can strike down the field any moment, so um, uh, you have to 
force him into dinking and dunking, taking what the defense gives him, throwing into zones and coverage. He doesn't really want to do that. I know, you know, Chad Kelly wants to challenge defenses down the field, so make him do what he doesn't want to do. Uh, offensively, Montreal's very well balanced. You know, in, in some of these, they need someone to step up in the passing game. Um, you know, and whether it be Mac or whomever needs to step up in this game and exert themselves and make big plays down the field. I, I, if they need to stay patient in the run game and they need to make big plays in the passing game in order to, cause I don't, I mean, we never know what the weather at BMO field, it looks like it's going to be, you know, typical and it's not going to be anything crazy. I mean, it could get very windy, but I definitely expect a shootout in this game. I do expect a lot of points. And so I, I think Montreal needs to maximize their opportunities. Argos are very good in the red zone. So you have to, when you get into scoring uh, range, the Alouettes are going to have to close the deal, finish it off. And stand back, and that offensive line got to hold up, and they got to be balanced. I think Mont it's very important that Montreal doesn't abandon the run. Um, too many Argos opponents just get away from it too early, and then they pay for it. They're not patient enough. You don't want to get into you know first and long, second and long kind of situations against. Uh, it's not doesn't favor you. Wow. Well, well said. I mean, this is. I said it before, and I'll say it again. This game has all the makings of being a classic, and I got a feeling when the final whistle blows. Whether it's Toronto or Montreal advancing, you're going to look back and say, that was a great game. That, that's that's how we felt earlier this year. Like the first game uh, Montreal-Toronto played, it was a shootout. It was fun. It was, I mean, just you, you look back and you, if you're a Montreal fan, you're disappointed because, dang, we lost. Like, But you gave Toronto a run for their money. Like you said, that second game, throw it out, burn the tape. Doesn't count. I mean, it just, it, it was what it was. Third game, same thing. I mean, just... Tight third game, third game was better than the first. The third game was tremendous. Yeah. That was high drama. That was high drama, and I honestly wasn't sure if Toronto could pull that one off. Um, the way I was like, "Wow, they really turned it on in, in the in the clutch moments of that game." Like it was like that was pretty impressive. Like to, Toronto's first game against Montreal was like for me it was like, "Okay, Chad Kelly is the absolute real deal." Mm -hmm. uh, when I saw that game, I, you know, the way he performed in that game and that was a tight one. And then that last game too, Kelly came up with huge plays at the end. So, I mean, and uh, that was, that was high drama that game. So I don't know if the Argos are going to be able to pull another rabbit out of their hat again, but I, I, I really like both these teams. The history between Montreal and Toronto is so beautiful. And the CFL is amazing. There's nothing better than the playoffs. So um, it's pretty hard when you, when you get this close and you lose, and um, and it's pretty exhilarating when you get this far and you move on and win. So it's a uh, but but that's why that's the stakes are so high. That's what makes it so great. And so uh, another great chapter in the Alouettes Argonauts. Couldn't ask for anything better than that. Mike, we can't thank you so much again for joining us, previewing this Eastern final yet again. I mean, like I said, did it great last year. And now let's do it again. Let's do it again. Yeah, let's do it again next year. Let's let's that's the thing. Like based on how these two teams are, are constructed right now, we could be seeing we could be doing this dance every year. It, it it's it's incredible, it's exciting. Like that's that's what makes this so much damn fun. <laughs> and I think you're gonna get a lot of copycats out there. You see Toronto Montreal success, you figure a lot of other teams are just gonna go, let's just get a I know Michael Shea's like one of the great all-time coaches, one of my favorite. Um, but I think a lot of people are gonna go the Moss Dinwiddie way. Let me get that young guy who's a kind of a quarterback whisperer type and, you know, the Ottawa's and all, maybe if Chris Jones lasts in Edmonton, um, we'll see. But I, I think uh, these two franchises, as you say, Cliffy, I, I think are going to be good for a while. Uh, they, the, unfortunately, Hamilton's unsettled, the quarterback. They don't know what the hell they're doing. Bo's trying to get out of there. 
Ottawa. It's been pretty rough few years for Ottawa. Um, they have the you know whatever fourteen or fifteen wins since to, since they made the Grey Cup. So um, it's just pretty. It's bad when your Ontario brother Argonauts have sixteen wins in one year and you've got you know fifteen wins or whatever it is since two thousand. <laughs> Not great. So um, but anyhow, no. but yes, for t- Toronto, Montreal, they could be very well be in this position once again next year as well. So this is thank you guys so much for having me on and let me ramble on forever. Yeah. Uh, before we let you go. Where can we find you on social media? Let give give yourself a plug. Let, let everybody know where they can find you and your writings. Sure. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, I write at uh, cflnewshub.com. You can check out my latest article on the prep and, and I'm going to write a preview coming up soon there. cflnewshub.com. Cover the CFL and the Argos. I also, I don't know what's going to happen with these crazy leagues, but I cover the USFL and the XFL. xflnewshub.com, usflnewshub.com. In a week from now, it could be UFL Newshub or NSFL <laughs> Newshub. We'll see how that goes. Um, I also write for the Jet Press. Recently wrote about the New York Jets. Fascinating team. With the, uh, I'd rather have Cody Fajardo than Zach Wilson. Um, same <laughs> thing with Chad Kelly. So anyhow, but I cover the Jets at thejetpress.com. You can catch me on social media whenever I feel like tweeting at B-Y-M-I-K-E by Mike Mitchell. Uh, two L's at the end. Uh, thanks, guys, again. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being uh, so friendly during this process and for, for having me on. Well, thanks once again for providing this uh great insight and uh like you I, i'm looking forward to a very fun eastern final this coming saturday and as they say let the best team win guy can talk doesn't matter but he knows his stuff make sure you do go check him out on socials and everywhere he writes that's all that's all i can say he, he knows how to he knows how to break it down he really does he really he really puts a lot of work into uh into what he what he talks about so he knows what he's talking about some hot takes i will admit um we'll we'll uh you know we'll we'll see uh yeah uh one quick thing that we wanted to talk about that i at least wanted to mention um that we didn't talk about at the beginning of the show there cliff before we let everybody go and and uh let everybody enjoy the rest of their day evening night whatever it may be um i i want to you know it Props to the Alouettes. They really didn't do much last year when it came to uh, the 25th anniversary of the uh, uh, of the U2 game, of the infamous U2 game. Um, by the way, um, again, if you do want to listen to uh, current Alouettes president, uh, Mark Waitman, we had him on last year uh, to talk about the 25th anniversary game. Uh, it's in our archives. Make sure you go listen to that. that was, so that would have been season seven. Um, but bringing in the the Quebec um, uh, the Quebec group uh, Joshua too, it wasn't you two, dude. But they put on a damn good show. Hmm. Yeah, all if anybody's seen a U two show before in person, all they did all the visuals, all the visuals, all everything. And I was like, they did a good, they did a good job. So we're talking about it before. It helped with the ambiance uh, of halftime, and it just you know we were that that much a couple days removed from the 26th anniversary of the infamous U2 game, which still, in my opinion, saved pro football in Montreal. So, Yeah, if, if I could offer just one slight criticism. Sure. It's awesome that they brought in a, a U2 tribute band to to do this. And yes, they did a very good job covering the, the U2 songs that we a lot of us all know and love, but... The the one, and maybe it's because of the, the the song title and the day the game was played. Who knows why why they didn't go with 
Sunday, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, because that was the original tribute song that was played. But also, too, previous playoff games were played on a Sunday, so it made sense to do it then. And maybe for whatever reason, they said, okay, well, it's a Saturday game. It would be kind of weird to have Sunday, Bloody Sunday. I would have totally allowed it myself, but, I mean, they did a fantastic job. It was definitely very entertaining. Give them props for that, and also kind of like said that that's that slight nod to that game twenty six years ago. Like you said, it was yeah. just a couple days removed from that infamous game. And who was front and center in that game? Mike Pringle. Who mm-hmm. was in attendance this past Saturday? Mm-hmm. Mike Pringle. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, just it, it. It was kind of like one of those full circle moments, if you will, just knowing that Mike Pringle was there to oversee it. You know, and yeah, it. it it, it, it was it was pretty special in a lot of ways. I, yeah. I, I'm not going to lie, but I I just think it would have been really cool to have that homage again. Like knowing full well, they did the secondary one though. I will admit, it. if anybody really is really cares to know what the song song t- list was, I have it for you. <laughs> it was they played three songs. Beautiful day. That's what I consider the secondary song. If you don't play Sunday Bloody Sunday, it's beautiful day. That that sort of continued on with the Alouettes. Um, and they played Vertigo, and they played Where the Streets Have No Name. So, but yeah, I, I I I said the same thing to you. I said the same thing to you in stadium. So, but you know what? I'll take the secondary song of Beautiful Day. So, because it was a very beautiful day. It sure was for Alouette's Nation, from start to finish. From as I said, starting at the tailgate, all the way to the end, post game, everything in between. It was a beautiful day for the Montreal Alouettes. Yep. So uh, heading to this sat- this Saturday's game in the East Final at BMO Field, um, your boys from the Alouettes flight deck will be there. So stay tuned to our socials. Uh, we maybe we can meet you up at the uh, at their tailgate that they're having this week, uh, or within stadium itself. Or stay tuned to we are going to have one. We just haven't determined where yet. But stay tuned for our, uh, win or lose for our uh, our post game uh, flight deck live. Um, it, it's going to be rocking. Supposedly they're claiming close to a sellout at 25,000 over BMO. If that's the case, by all means, I'm all for it. Uh, the continued uh, disrespect to Alouettes and Alouettes nation is even getting even funnier now because <laughs> if, if people don't know, yes, you can still get tickets, but the official section for the Alouette that the Alouettes are part of, that have been made available to the Alouettes to, to say, to sell to Alouettes fans uh, is in the upper deck. Uh, one section of the upper deck, uh, the last three rows. <laughs> so I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. And as I said, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking of 1989. That's all I'm going to say. Well, you, you, you got to give that some context, Tim. I mean, oh, I, well, I did in the interview. If you remember, I did in the interview, but I'll, I'll say it again. No team that has, that has won 16 games. Has made it to the Grey Cup. It's only one team, but still, but still, no. but we will be back next week, obviously, for the show for our our recap. Uh, we will be talking to Cl- uh, win or lose. We will most likely be talking to uh, to Cliff in his early days over at the uh, uh, at the Grey Cup Festival. So, dude, we're looking forward to to talking to you then, obviously. But that's for next week. Um, we we got to find out what's going to happen this week. So. Um, yeah. uh, it's going to be a pleasure to go road, be road tripping with you, buddy. And, uh, again, everybody stay tuned to our socials cause, uh, we're going to try to get as much 
um, enough out to you guys as much as possible this week. Yeah, actually, with uh, I, I'm very proud to say that the Alouettes flight deck will be represented at Grey Cup throughout the entire week. We're we've uh, a lot's going to depend on whether or not the Alouettes are going to be in the Grey Cup or not. Obviously, we're hoping they will be because if so, then we've got some crazy stuff that we'd like to get done for you guys. Uh, if not, we're still going to give the same great coverage. We're still going to, you know, show the love for the Alouettes that uh, we've been doing all all season long. Uh, we're just going to put a little bit of a spin on it with it being Grey Cup. Uh, listen, there's a lot of stuff that we want to do, and I mean, I, I, I'm excited. I'm truly excited. I, I'm honored that the CFL still thinks highly enough of us that they want us to be a part of that. They want us to cover the Grey Cup, and by God, that is something that we are going to do. Whether the Alouettes are in it or not, we are going to give this Grey Cup the coverage and the respect that it deserves. So yep. by all means, if, if, if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed, make sure you're following us, you know, let us know in the comments, you know, however, however you're, you're taking in the Alouette's flight deck, let us and know go, what we're doing. Let us know what you want to see. Yeah. I mean, that, that, and this go is to the your YouTube show. page, go to the YouTube page, make sure you hit the bell. So you know, that when we go live, that's it. I mean, we're going live. We'll be, we will be going live this Saturday, regardless what happens at the end of the Eastern final. And, Hopefully we'll be talking about something good as opposed to something not so good. But uh, again, if you're subscribed, you hit the notification bell, you you will be noticed or you will get the notification when we go live. So be ready is all I have to say. Exactly. We appreciate every single one of you. And as we announced recently, we want to thank all 30,000 plus of you who have downloaded and listened to our show over the years. Uh, we hope to do 30,000 more. We hope that, you know, and we hope to entertain 30,000 more of you in the near future, obviously. So uh, we will talk to you guys very soon. So for everybody here at the Alouette's Flight Deck for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. Run final approach. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.